Bibles, would you open with me to Matthew chapter 1? Because that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. We want to understand who it is that we're celebrating. Uh, we just listened to a great song called You Are the Living Word. And that song opens up by saying, uh, when you were here, you were known as many things. Jesus was known as many things, a carpenter, a prophet, a miracle worker, a teacher. But do we know who he is? Names have significance. What people are called have significance. Some of you, your names have significance. Maybe it's a family name that's been passed down. I know we have friends here whose names mean something and have gone back for generations and generations in their family. Uh, sometimes names are unique to mark a particular occasion. Sometimes names are given so that uh, parents can keep track of who came in what order because they're all named a specific way. Uh, names have meaning. And when we come to Christmas Eve and we, we light the Christ candle and we're talking about Jesus and we sing songs about all of these things that are so familiar, I want to make sure that, again, we have clarity that we know who it is we're celebrating. And as we open up Matthew's gospel, what he does is he gives us a list of names that really tells us about one name. And we're not going to go through that whole list of names. We're going to look tonight at the names of Jesus from Matthew 1. And Jesus is one of those names. But we're going to look at what they mean. We're going to unpack why they matter and why Matthew mentions them the way that he does. So if you have your Bibles, and if they're open, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, this is what Matthew writes. He says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, as we spend a few minutes in your word, I pray that you would help us to see clearly, that you would open up our eyes. We get so distracted by so many things. Sometimes it's what's going on around us. Sometimes it's circumstances that we have no control over. Uh, sometimes it's the turmoil and chaos that's in our own hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see clearly this afternoon, to see who you are, and then to respond to you, to respond to the truth of who you are and why Christmas matters so very much. So we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, like I said, today we're going to be looking at some of the names of Jesus from Matthew chapter 1. And the first name isn't Jesus that we're going to look at. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 and then verse 16, and then verse 18. And in particular, kids, I want you to be paying attention because I'm going to ask you what you think the name that we're going to go over first is, all right? So verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And in verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And then in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. What's the first name or title that you think we'll be going over? Any kids have an idea? Starts with a C. You can talk in church sometimes. It's okay. What is it? Christ. 
We're talking about Christ. When we talk about Jesus, when we light this candle, we said it was the Christ candle. Well, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is not the last part of a swear word like our culture tends to use it. Christ means something, and it means something very important. Christ is kind of the, the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew term for Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. That's really what it meant. It meant the anointed one. And if you go back, and if you look at the Old Testament, three kinds of people were anointed. You anointed your prophets and priests and kings, which meant they were all set apart for a very specific work that God had called them to do. Now, in the Old Testament, you couldn't be all three of those things. You could be a prophet and a priest. You could be a prophet and a king, but you couldn't be a king and a priest because they came from two different tribes. But this Jesus, this Christ, he's the anointed one, and he is set apart for something that is more special, more different, more unique than any other person in human history. This Jesus Christ, the Christ that we celebrate, the Messiah, is set apart to do all of those things. He's a prophet. He's going to speak the very word of God. In fact, that song said he is the living word. He's going to be a priest and that he is going to mediate. He's going to be the go-between from God to sinful people. And he's going to be the king. And as Matthew opens up his gospel, he wants us to understand that this Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one. In other words, every time Matthew says that, for every name and every generation that he goes through, it's the constant reminder that God is being faithful to fulfill his promises. For hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people had waited for this one because God said he was coming. There was promises made, and Matthew gives us a couple of important names. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And we know the stories of David and Abraham, and we know that God made promises to David. God told David that he would be the start of a line of kings but a line of kings that would be different than any other line of kings in history because this line would never end. Every dynasty through human history has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Not David's. The kings from David's line would last forever. Every kingdom throughout human history has borders, a set territory that's marked aside that can grow, that can shrink, that can go away entirely. This king would be different. He wouldn't just rule over a part, over a country, over a piece. The king that would come from David's line would rule over the whole earth. And when this is Jesus, the Christ, when Matthew says that he's the son of David, he's reminding us that this is the proof of God's faithfulness to all of those promises. That this Jesus, the baby that we celebrate in a manger who came in humility, is the promised king who will rule over all of creation. He's not just the coming king. He's the blessing that's given to all nations. He's not only the son of David, he's the son of Abraham. There were promises made to him too that he would have a particular land for him and his descendants forever, that he would have descendants as numerous as the sand on the shores and the stars in the sky, and that Abraham would be blessed. That those who bless Abraham would be blessed, that those who curse him would be cursed. And then this remarkable promise that through Abraham, all of the peoples on earth would experience blessing. But how does blessing come on the whole earth through one man? The Christ, the Messiah, is the answer. 
We light that candle. We remember who Jesus is because he is the promised blessing to all nations. When we call him the Christ, when we say that he is the Messiah, the promised one, we're not talking about a promise that's just specific to Israel. It's not good for a people and a time and a place. Jesus Christ is the hope of every nation. He's the Messiah for all people. Doesn't matter their gender, doesn't matter their background, doesn't matter their history, doesn't matter their economic standing, their language. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Savior for all men. So when we talk about who it is we're celebrating here on Christmas Eve, when we light a candle that's called the Christ candle, when we sing songs that talk about Jesus, the Christ, it should be a constant reminder that God is faithful to every promise that he has made. But Christ isn't the only thing that this baby is going to be called. We read through the narrative and we find Joseph ready to divorce Mary quietly and to send her away. But an angel comes to him. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This baby will be called Jesus. And again, names are important. He's not the only child in history to have that name. Uh, it's kind of a, it's the continuation of the Hebrew name for Joshua or Yeshua. And the name means Yahweh will save. And the angel made that clear that it would be very appropriate because he will save his people from their sins. Every time you speak the name of Jesus, it ought to be a reminder for us about why he came and why it's so very necessary. This one will be called Jesus, not just another common name. This one will be the one who will save his people from their sins. This is the Savior. You can't understand Christmas without understanding the fact that Jesus is the Savior. But what did he save from and how did he do it? Well, to understand that, we have to go back a little further. Before the cross, before the manger, all the way back to the garden, where God forms Adam and Eve in his image. Out of all of creation, only man and woman are made in the image of God, designed to reflect something of his character, his nature, his person. And he puts them in the perfect place. Every need met. Every relational need, every physical need, perfect fellowship even between them and the God who made them. And he gives the command, don't eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. But they eat. And at that moment, sin enters the world. And there's a fracture. There's a break. Because sin separates and sin kills. And it has from the very beginning. And that would be a tragic enough story if it stayed there, but it doesn't. Because that stain of sin is passed from generation to generation to generation. Every man, every woman, every child whoever drew breath on this earth shares in the fall. You and I, although we weren't in the garden, we have the same problem. We've fallen and we've failed. 
through our words, through our actions, through our attitudes, through the intentions and thoughts and desires of our heart, we have fallen short of what God says is the standard, and that's perfection. And so there exists this great gap between the perfect holy God and men and women made in his image. And that's why we need the Savior. That's the why, and here's the how. Because to get back to God took something greater than you and I. Although our sin was enough to break that fellowship, our goodness isn't enough to bring it back. If the standard is perfection, no matter how hard I try, and I'm fairly confident no matter how hard you try, you recognize that we fall short of that. Something had to do what we couldn't. Someone had to do what we were called to do, but what we could not do. Jesus Christ is the Savior who did that. He came, and we don't just celebrate the fact that he stayed in a manger, but that he lived. He lived a life of perfect obedience. He would know, like you and I, what it meant to be hungry and tired, betrayed, in pain. But through all of those circumstances, not one failure, not one fault. And yet at the end of that perfect life, he would go to the cross. He would die. But that doesn't make sense because the wages of sin, the cost of sin, the price of sin is death. But if he had no sin, there should have been no death. But the Savior took on the death that was ours. And God allowed the one who knew no sin to become like he had sinned in the way that we had. He became sin on our behalf so that we could then be covered in his goodness, his perfection, his righteousness. When we talk about Jesus, when we're talking about the fact, the idea that Yahweh will save, this is how God saves. God does not save by ignoring sin and pretending it never happened. God does not save by telling you to work a little harder, do a little better, come to church a little more often, give a little bit more sacrificially, be a little bit nicer of a person, and then everything will be okay. God saves in this way, that He sent His only Son to die for us so that we might live through Him. Because that Savior didn't stay dead. He rose again after three days. And He ascended to the right hand of the Father where He ever lives to plead our case, to make intercession for us. So it's like if you belong to Christ, you have a constant advocate, a lawyer, the perfect lawyer before the perfect judge. And all that would be enough. But there's more. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 22. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's the third name that I want to look at. Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Jesus wasn't just another baby in a long line of babies. He wasn't just another king born into a kingly line. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a good example. He wasn't just a martyr. He wasn't a political revolutionary misunderstood by Rome and misrepresented by the Jews. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. 
We know that Matthew and Luke give us these long Christmas stories. They give us the events and the shepherds and the angels. John gives us a different Christmas story. No shepherds, no angels, no manger. But this is what John says in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That little baby was God incarnate. And if we're honest, we can't get our minds around that. Because John, Colossians, Revelation, Genesis, they talk about the God who formed all things with the word of his mouth. And yet now we hear that the one who formed the stars lays in a manger under those stars that he made. That he breathes the air that he created. That he lays in a manger of stone that he formed. And we can't make that fit. And yet at a a point in human history, God, very God, took on human flesh and walked among us. Why? Because we needed that kind of perfect sacrifice. Bulls and goats could cover over sin for a time, but they couldn't stand in the place for mankind. Priests had to be one of their own people. And now as God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, is the perfect sacrifice fit to take our place. He's the perfect priest taken from among men, fit to be our mediator and our go-between. Like us, but not like us. We sing about things at Christmas, peace and hope and joy and love, and we light candles, and I hope that you understand that we're not just talking about themes and abstract ideas and ideal scenarios that we would get to if we could. When we sing about hope, when we light candles about hope, we have hope because of that center candle, because of who Christ is and what He's done. When we talk about peace, we can only sing and talk and enjoy those things because we have peace with God through what He has done. When we talk about joy, we have joy, real joy, because of who God is and what He has done through Jesus Christ. Every song that we sing that mentions these precious names should be a reminder to us that God has done exactly what He said He would do. And that He has done absolutely what we could not do. And so as we do close together with some songs, special music, hymns that we sing together that we're so familiar with, would you remember those three names? Would you remember that Jesus is the Christ? That God is absolutely faithful to do exactly what he said he would do? Because you and I live surrounded by people that are not faithful. And if we're honest, you and I are among those people that are not faithful. 
how discouraging and disappointing and darkened it might be to live in a faithless world. How joyful to know that there is a God who is always faithful. Would you remember that this is Jesus, the proof that Yahweh saves? What a dreadful thing to live life anticipating nothing but death, darkness, and judgment. What a wonderful thing to know that because of Jesus, you and I can be saved, restored, reconciled to the God that we sinned against. Would you remember that this is Emmanuel, God with us? Because if you don't feel it around the Christmas season, my guess is that you'll feel it at some point this year, and that is the idea that you are absolutely alone in the world. You might be in the middle of a family gathering and feel absolutely alone in the world. The middle of a workplace, the middle of a church service, the middle of a school classroom. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, is the reminder that you and I are never alone. That the God who formed and filled all of creation was not some absentee landlord who wound this whole thing up and then stepped back just to watch it play out, but that he intervened, he came to us, and he continues to remain with us. We have precious promises at Christmas. We have so many reasons to sing. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come and we can get a hold of these things in bits and pieces and parts, and any one of them would be over and above what it would take to overwhelm us. God, I pray that you would remind us of who you are. I pray that we would remember not just that Jesus is the reason for the season or some slogan, but that we would remember that the Christ, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us is a reality that ought to impact not only our eternity but our daily lives. And Lord, if there are those who are struggling through whatever they might be this season, I pray that you would comfort them. I pray that you would remind them of the truth, not that things will be all right or that things will get better, but that you're not absent from our circumstances and our scenarios that our greatest need isn't peace with one another, but our greatest need is peace with you. And in having peace with you, we can have peace with others and peace in our circumstances. God, I pray that you would fill us with hope because of who you are and what Christ has done. Lord, as we consider the wonderful mystery of who Christ is, Savior, King, God, humbled, put to death, raised again, that we would always be drawn to worship.